Good morning, everybody. Hang on, I'm a little caught up right here. There we go. I have this image, a memory, and maybe you have similar memories, and it came up a lot while I was looking at this text. I have a memory of my dad sitting in his office. He had a room in our house that served as his office. And um, I have this memory of, and, and I think it's a, it's a memory that I'm remembering a lot because I think we did this a lot. And the memory is my older brother and I sweet-talking our little sister to go into the office to invade my father's private place to ask for some ice cream. More specifically, to ask to take us to go get ice cream. So, uh, so we would sweet talk my little sister uh, into it because we believed that our sister was by far the favorite one. Anyone with siblings feel this? Uh, and, 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 and like discreet show of hands, how many of you know you were the favorite? Oh, 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 not even discreet, full on, I own it over here. Okay. Um, we believed my sister had a secret weapon that my brother and I did not have. My sister had enormous, beautiful, with these long eyelashes, brown eyes. And so we would send Raquel into dad's sacred space where he was sermon planning or, you know, whatever strategies for evangelism, whatever lofty thing he was doing. And he, we would send her in, and she would just gaze up at my dad with those big brown eyes and just, Dad, can we go get some ice cream? Now, when I look back, I have zero evidence that my dad actually favored my sister. When I look back as an adult now, I think that my dad just had a really, really intense sweet tooth. And he looked for any opportunity to go get ice cream, but he didn't let us know this. He, we just thought it was my sister's powerful and effective brown eyes, you know. So she somehow would be able to to just get my dad's favor, to use an old-fashioned word. So that's the memory that's been uh, in my mind as I've been preparing for the sermon today. So imagine those beautiful brown eyes looking up. And that's our sermon series, to look up. To look up. Now, I don't know if you have a lethal set of beautiful eyes, but we're, we're challenged and exhorted by the author of Hebrews to look up. And I just want to remind us of a couple things uh, as we go into today's sermon. We started this sermon series a few weeks ago. I think we're week eight. And so maybe you forgot or maybe you weren't there. But the original audience of the book of Hebrews, they were in a really difficult place. They were in a place where to be a Christian, and I mean that not in a social, cultural sense. I mean that to be a Christ follower was a difficult and often dangerous thing. 
They faced trials, they faced persecution, they faced prejudices simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the book of Hebrews, and if you read the entire book of Hebrews, some of the most difficult and challenging passages, some of the most strongly worded warning statements to have to be found in the New Testament is found in the book of Hebrews. Because you see, these Jewish Christians were tempted to return to their old beliefs, to return to their old rituals and routines, simply as a way to release the pressure. And so when you look at these warnings, you get the sense that the church of the Hebrews were beginning to take a step back from their zeal to the Lord. That maybe they made a couple of choices that were disloyal in nature. Or maybe they were just compromising just a little bit more to make their life just a little easier to bear. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like we have the same sort of challenges today. Maybe, 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 maybe today I'll just, you know, maybe I'll just worship from afar. Maybe I'll just distance myself just a little bit from Christ being the center of my life. You know, just, just, just to make things a little easier. And so when we look at this passage, I want you to remember that they have been warned. They have been warned not to fall away. But they have been warned not to harden their hearts. So read with me Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So don't harden your hearts. Don't fall away. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. And then right before verse 14, the verse basically says, God sees everything. You cannot hide. You know, but approach. God sees everything. But approach. God sees everything. And while you're approaching, have some confidence. Confidence? So so let's, let's put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine the surprise of these Christians when after many warnings, they are told to approach God's throne of grace, not as like, 
penitent beggars. Please, God, we're so sorry. And also not with swagger. I'm here. But with confidence. We've got to figure out why confidence Why not approach God's throne of grace with humility? Doesn't that make a little more sense? So, if this is a congregation that has been waffling in their faith, if this is a congregation that has maybe been having some disloyal moments to the Savior, If this is a congregation that's been slowly distancing themselves from the centrality of Christ, you know, they haven't out and out denied Christ, but they've been tempted. How can they then approach with confidence God's throne of grace? How can they even dare to ask for God's mercy? and grace in their time of need. Haven't they disqualified themselves with their disloyalty? And maybe you can relate to this. If you've ever said this to yourself, if you've ever had this thought, gosh, it would be so much easier if I wasn't a Christian. It's a disloyal thought, isn't it? It's a thought that just puts a little bit of distance. Oh, Jesus, if you could just like tone it down a little. Because you're making it difficult for me to live my best life here on earth. If you have found yourself knowing and realizing that following Jesus really does make things more complicated, then maybe we can put ourselves in the shoes of these Hebrew Christians who were facing so much more than simple discomfort. You see, if I put myself in their shoes, if I've engaged in some disloyal behavior, if I've been, to use a a recent term, quiet quitting my faith, And then I have a letter, which is basically an epic sermon, telling me that Jesus is greater. That invitation to approach God's throne does not feel like something I want to engage in, you see, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be expecting a little bit of like some thunder and lighting, lightning. I'm going to expect a little smiting, right? Shape up and fly right, sort of like get on with it, figure yourself out, get back to it, repent. You see, I'm, I'm going to be expecting some condemnation, Because you see, I know exactly who I am, and the person that I am feels more like I should be a beggar in God's throne room and not so much a beloved. And so here is the surprise 
of this passage. Where they expected condemnation, they encountered grace. And this is a surprise. Because you see, there's nothing in our earthly experience that prepares us for this moment. We are conditioned since very young to prove ourselves. Show mommy you're a good girl. How did my kids do? Were they good for you? A, B, C, D, there's no E. F, we go straight for F, we skip E. What did I get today? We're conditioned, aren't we? Prove to me you deserve this promotion. Prove to me that you're worthy of me marrying you. Proof, 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 proof. Oh, I like that. We're not prepared to experience the surprise of God's grace. This place, this throne room, if my dad's office was intimidating, imagine the throne room of God. A few weeks back, my son Isaac, who's a junior at Cherry Creek High School, um, he came home a little discouraged. You see, he's, he's in his junior year, and if you remember your junior year, junior year of high school is a really hard year, and Isaac is challenging himself, so he has some honors courses, he has some, some accelerated courses, and um, he got a little behind. He's juggling his uh, Starbucks job, which I get now a pound of coffee by eye. I mean, I personally, he gives it directly to me. Pound of coffee from Starbucks. So we definitely want him to keep that going. So we have come alongside and supported him in that. Um, The other day, I went and got a free coffee just for being his mom. It's amazing. It's amazing. So he's trying to do his junior year, and he takes his academics seriously, and he's very internally motivated, and he's doing his Starbucks job, and he's also in a very sweet relationship, you know, with this sweet, shy girl, uh, and and they've been six months, so that's a lifetime. Clearly, they're committed to each other. And then there's all the other interests that he has. He just got a little bit behind. So he went to his teacher and said, hey, I, 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 I'm so sorry that I've got behind, and this is not who I am, and I, I take my studies seriously, and, and, um, and I just want to let you know this is not reflective of my academic, um, my academic abilities. And his teacher just said two words, prove it and then turned his back, went to the podium, and took attendance. Okay. Now, you're feeling a lot of sympathy for Isaac, but I'm a teacher, so I kind of get this moment. (laughs) Okay? So, did Isaac want some encouragement? Yeah, he did. Did he want a little bit of grace? Yeah, he did, because he told me that. He's like, Mom, I just was expecting just a little bit of an encouragement. Just a little bit of a connection 
with my teacher. And in my head, I'm also going, yeah, but you've done nothing to prove that this is true about you. But isn't that a glimpse of our entire life? Going up to someone, maybe someone who's in authority over us, maybe someone that we would really like to have some relational equity with, and what we get, the message that we get is, prove it. But what's incredible, what's incredible about Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, is that we do not have a God that says, prove it. We have a God who says, approach. Come closer. Draw near. I know your weaknesses. I empathize. Approach. Come. Come and experience my mercy. Come and get the help that you need. This is good news, isn't it? And this is even more powerful considering that this church was struggling specifically with distance, backsliding, returning. The solution then is not condemnation. The solution is God's presence to return to the one who you never have to prove anything to. But we don't know how to handle this moment. We don't know how to live in the truth of this gospel because everything about our human experience is that we need to prove it. So how can we have confidence? Where, does, where should our confidence come from? Our confidence comes from the Lord. For we do not have a high priest who does not empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. And if you read throughout the whole book of Hebrews, several times there's this image that we're introduced to in this chapter, but then gets explained in chapters 8 and 12. And it's this image of Jesus Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father. And I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe the fact that Jesus is in that throne room makes the throne room just a little less scary. Maybe Jesus has some really powerful brown eyes. And the father just melts because his son is sitting next to him. And Jesus models for us what it means to be present in the throne room. And so maybe when I walk in, I'm not walking in as a beggar. I'm not walking in arrogant with swagger. I'm walking in as someone who belongs because my brother Jesus 
has gone before me. You see, Jesus is in the business. He's in the business of securing the Father's favor. There's this beautiful passage in Luke where Jesus returns to his hometown. He's the hometown boy made good, right? And he returns to his hometown, and he goes into the synagogue, and it was his turn, apparently, or maybe he's visiting, and he reads this passage out of Isaiah 61. And this, to me, is what it means to be favored. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus makes the throne room possible for us. And he's been in the business of Showing the Lord's favor. He's been in the business of healing and mending and releasing and freeing. He's been in the business of understanding that this world, it beats us up, it spits us out, it demands that we prove our worthiness. But what does he do? He clothes us with, our, with his own worthiness. He's the one who's there welcoming us into the throne room. He is the one who makes it possible for us to belong. And when Jesus reads this scripture in his own hometown, in his own childhood synagogue, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he's been fulfilling this in our hearing even today. And so, Jesus is the source of our confidence. He's the one who's already gone before us. He's the one who has already proven it. And so my own effort, and this is, this is mind-blowing to me. I have a really hard time as someone who's a bit of a performer. My effort is unnecessary. God's not up there like, oh, if only Rebecca would just get with the program. Oh, if only Rebecca would. Now he chooses to, and he calls us, and we step into that. But not for worthiness sake, not to prove ourselves. And so our confidence, our confidence is grounded and anchored in the fact that Jesus is the one who enjoys the Lord's favor. And so therefore he makes a way for us to also get the ice cream.
So maybe you're sitting there, and I, I'm not sure where you are in your own faith. I, I'm thankful, honestly, that I don't know where you are in your own faith, or this would be very difficult to stand up here. I don't know where you are. I don't... I don't, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know if, if like the, the Christians of the book of Hebrews, you've been quiet quitting your faith. You know, nothing so obvious. But when things get difficult, when conversations with friends get difficult, you've maybe taken a step back and just went, oh, you do you, girl. Oh, yeah, 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 you've got some things in the Bible, Christianity's tough, yeah, uh uh-huh. Can you relate to what I'm saying? Have you had moments of disloyalty? Have you had moments of compromise? Because you know what? It is difficult to stay true and faithful today. And please listen to me. I am not attempting to shame you into the throne room. That doesn't work. But this passage says, hold on firmly to the faith you profess. Hold on firmly. Hug it up. Hold on firmly. Because this world, this world, if you're not paying attention, you're going to be like two finger in it. Just kind of tapping it. Like, oh, kind of holding on to Jesus. Kind of, maybe one finger, you know. The picture of the poster of the cat hanging on. But we are encouraged to hold on firmly to the faith that we have. Jesus is calling you to look up and return to the faith. Specifically, to return to the one who empathizes with your weakness. This is not a, a, a God who's demanding this, who doesn't understand our situation. So I have two questions, and these have been two questions that have guided me in my own devotional time for the last couple of weeks. I, sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I have the privilege um, of taking my time. And so sometimes I just, I make it, I make it part of my devotional time and, and I'm ready to get rid of these two questions. So I'm passing them on to you today. (laughs) When you are in trouble, do you run to or from God? When you are in trouble, do you run to God? Do you know that he's the father with his arms wide open? Or are you like running from God, not making eye contact, giving yourself some distance? And then the second question is, which lie? Is sabotaging your confidence. How's, how has the enemy gotten in there and told you a lie about yourself? How has the enemy gotten in there and told you, you know what, you're not worthy. God doesn't really want you in the throne room. If you come clean with God, it's going to be a smite fest. You get some smiting, you get some smiting, you get some smiting. Which lie? 
Is it a lie from your childhood? I think I got that childhood memory of my dad because I have a lie that's connected with something I learned as a child. I had a good dad. I did not have a perfect dad. Am I moving this life forward into my own children in some way? Is the prove it lie a lie that you find yourself grasping? So if these are questions that maybe need to be tended to, take some time. Tend to them. Invite the Holy Spirit into these questions. But I don't want to end there. Let's end with some truths. Two truths, no lies. Enjoy God's favor. Look up. Look up. If you're like me, this is what I usually do. I look inward. Inward sucks. I look inward. Or I look to the side. How are they doing? How are they doing? Am I doing better than they are? As long as I'm doing better, right? Um, Instead, look up. Like, let all of this die down. Believe the gospel. Trust the gospel. Believe that Jesus is enough. Trust that he's enough. Believe that he truly is greater than anything this world has to offer. Because he does really make gardens out of graveyards. And then the second truth is you belong in God's presence. Not because of what you've done, but because you've been invited and the invitation stands every day, all day. And so instead of working to belong, tend to to the opportunity to practice belonging even when you don't quite believe it yet. We belong in God's presence. What a gift. You belong in God's throne room of grace. So don't try to prove it. Approach. And so we're going to practice a little bit of that, and I'm going to ask you to use your holy imagination. I don't know how a sermon could work more beautifully with the opportunity to take communion. There Jesus is, having fulfilled his call, knowing that the last and final work of death and resurrection was here to come. And he, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And so you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And in that same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so today is World Communion Sunday. 
And we celebrate the Lord's Supper in fellowship with our brothers and sisters around the world. And here's the good news. The throne room is full of great people from all around the world. So you're not entering into the throne room by yourself. There are those who are already there. And we will one day join them forever. But in the meantime, until we wait for Christ to return, together, Jesus followers from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, we remember and celebrate our Lord's death and resurrection. And so when you come to the table, and there's three bread options, and the bread symbolizes the different tribes, the different cultures that will be represented in the throne room, who've also been invited to approach. And the free cheese have so graciously put this bread option, these bread options together. And I just want to tell you as a point of clarification, the Polish bread is the gluten-free bread. But then you also have bread from Syria and uh, Native American fried bread. So when you come... There will not be a human physical server, but imagine that Jesus is here and that he is having a personal Lord's Supper with you. And he is offering you his body and his blood, and he is inviting you to approach the Lord's table, symbolically of our last and final approach where we will live forever in the new heaven and in the new earth. So let's practice approaching. The worship team is going to come forward and I've asked them to play an oldie but a goodie. And this was a song that was played at, uh, at Kyle and I's wedding, played by my wonderful friend Christy Foster on the piano. And it perfectly communicates a desire that is spoken in trust, even if it's not spoken with confidence yet. That we just want to be where he is, standing daily in his presence, seated at his table and surrounded by his glory. And that we don't want to worship from afar. And maybe if you found that you have distanced yourself from him, Make that right today. Approach the table with the confidence of who Jesus is. Amen.